0: This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. I have something that I want to give to you tonight. I've been looking at it all day. I've been processing it all day. And I don't really know how much of a sermon it is. I was looking in the book of Luke, chapter number 22. And I want to take you down to the Garden of Gethsemane. This morning it occurred to me something that happened in the garden that I've Never thought about until today. Luke chapter 22 and verse number 40. Luke 22 and verse 40. The Bible says, And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Now skip down to verse number 46 of the same chapter. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Now brothers and sisters, how many of you like me tonight have got a Bible that we call a red letter edition where the words of Jesus are in red? Slip your hand up on me. Well, if your hand is raised, then you're going to notice something about verse number 39 down through verse number 46. And that is there are three different sections that are read. That means that there are three different times that Jesus says something in this passage. Now, I want to give you a little context because for the next couple of nights, tonight and then Tuesday and then Wednesday, by God's grace... I want to just kind of dance around some of the things that the Lord said in the Garden of Eden because if you look in the book of Luke, Luke is a man that writes probably 30 years after the events that he writes about. Luke was not there when all of this went down, Luke was not around when all of these things were said. Where did Luke get his information? He got his information from eyewitness accounts from the events that went on. He had people that were there that witnessed it, that saw it, that experienced it, that that were with him all day and all night, ate with the Lord, slept where the Lord slept, went where the Lord went. And he got those eyewitness accounts some 30 years after the events that happened. Now, why does that matter? And I promise you, I'm taking you somewhere. Don't jump off the wagon just yet. So 30 years after it all is said and done, Luke gets the events that are written down in Luke's gospel. Why does that matter? How many of you know this little thing called the fog of war? That's whenever something goes on that's traumatic, that's terrible, that's hard, that's harsh. It's very easy to get the details confused in that moment. But what happens is as time goes on, your mind begins to wrap itself around what really happened, the events and the important details of what happened. Some of y'all are looking at me like a calf staring at a new gate. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. I've had not a lot of traumatic events in my life, but I've had a few. One of the traumatic events of my life was when our baby girl Ella was born and she was born at 31 weeks and and the doctor says she's not going to make it now in that moment there were so many details that were given There were there were reports and there were numbers and there were things that were given down and i know that they were given to us and i know they were told to us but i don't remember any of it but looking back now nine years it'll be ten years next week that all of that went down I remember the important details of everything that made that story powerful and made that everything it was. Because time has a way of clearing away what doesn't matter and laying out before you what does matter. Why is that important here? Because it's 30 years after the fact. And the men that were there, there were only 11 men in that garden with Jesus that night, the 11 disciples aside from... Judas Iscariot and they had wrapped their mind 30 years after the fact had wrapped their minds around what really mattered in that room now here's what got me today as I was thinking 30 years later there were three things that stuck out to them in the garden of Gethsemane only three things that Jesus said and prayed in the garden of Gethsemane and I know you're probably thinking what in the world does this have to do with me It's the reason that it's important is because you've got to understand what Gethsemane really is all about. You see, number one, Gethsemane in your life represents the place of pressing. It represents the place where the pressure is put on you. It represents the place where life gets difficult. It represents the place where it ain't easy to live and it ain't easy to breathe. How many of you know It's easy to shout when everything's going good. It's easy to shout when everybody's healthy. It's easy to shout when everybody's fat and sassy. It's easy to shout when your mamas are happy and your mama-in-law ain't around. It's easy to shout when the doctor says you got a good bill of health. It's easy to shout when you got enough money in the bank. It's easy to shout when everybody likes you. It's easy to shout when your body feels good. It's easy to shout when nobody's in the hospital. It's easy to shout when nobody is sick. It's easy to shout, but that's not where life is always going to lead you. There's going to be times when you get down into what we call the garden of Gethsemane, where the pressure gets applied to your life, where the pressure, honey, it hunkers down on your life. When you look around and all of a sudden, everybody that used to be with you, you can't find them with with the FBI. The friends that you used to have, they don't look for you anymore. And the family you used to love and cherish and be around you can't find them anymore and the health you used to have down deep on the inside, now your body aches and your body hurts and it cracks and it creaks when you wake up in the morning and your mind is foggy and you can't think straight it's as if things are really changing, what's happened you've come down into that valley of pressure and pressing am I the only one that can go to bed and everything just be absolutely fantastic In your life only to wake up Just a few hours later And all hell come against you And your family and your children You don't know what happened But all of a sudden you don't feel right About it what happened you're down In that valley of pressure I'm 37 years old I'll be 38 years old in just a couple of weeks And here's what I have found In my 37 and 7 Or 11 12 Whatever that fraction is Of living and life You do not know what a day will bring forth. You don't have any idea. The sun rises on your life looking one way, but it's going to set on your life looking another way. We went to bed just a couple of months back, and my little wife, at 34 years old, we were done with babies. We were done with children. Man, I got a 13 year old, I got a 10 year old, and I was done having babies. I didn't want any more babies. I wasn't looking at starting a homeschool convent and I was not start a missionary unit I am done I was done with babies I wasn't interested in any more children but Erica came up one day she said baby love I think I'm pregnant I said well, we got an issue I'm pretty sure you can't think you're pregnant you either is pregnant or you ain't pregnant I don't know any other way to say that she said well I is pregnant I said well I don't know what to tell you she said well I guess we're gonna have a baby I said well you're gonna call me Abraham and I'm gonna call you Sarah And that's going to be the chill out of our old age. Man, you get to doing the math in your head. And you think, man, I'm going to be 60 years old when this child even thinks about graduating high school. I'm going to be in diapers before it's out of diapers. I mean, it's going to be just unbelievable. And you go to bed and finally you wrap your mind around that. And she calls you one afternoon and says, honey, I'm hurting. She gets home and she's been over. Blood pouring from her body only to find out the sun rose up with life and it sets with death. And immediately you're put into the valley of pressure. There are people beside you tonight, you have no idea the pressure that's going on in their life. You have no idea what the person beside you is battling. You have no idea what the person behind you had to listen to on the phone before they walked into the house of God. You have no idea what the person in front of you feels down deep in the recesses of your heart in their, of their heart. You have no idea what a preacher stands up with. You have no idea what a singer has to battle through. You have no idea what a deacon has to pray through. You have no idea what a teacher has to teach with. You have no no idea what a coworker is going through because every single one of us will get to a valley and get to a Garden of Gethsemane moment where the pressure is applied on your life it's not just a place of pressing but number two it's a place of choosing Jesus made this statement in the Garden of Gethsemane if it is possible Can I ask you a question? Was it not possible for it all to go away? Sure it was. Jesus could have called legions of angels right then and ended the entire thing and those legions of angels would not just have smitten everything around him they would have smitten every human being that had ever been in existence would have wiped out the very face of the earth at the very word of the Lamb of God but in that moment when Jesus looked up to the Father and he said Father if it be possible let this cup pass from me if it is possible let this cup leave my life if it is possible let let there be another way, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Do you know what Jesus did in that moment? He said, I want it one way, but God, you want it another way, and I choose to walk in your path. I choose to walk in your way. Ladies and gentlemen, you're gonna get to a crossroads in your journey at some point. You're gonna get to a place with the bar with the brokenness setting in your heart and the fear rolling over your life, and your kids going one way, and your spouse going another way and the people going another way and you've got to make the decision am I going to keep on walking with God or am I going to turn to the right hand or am I going to turn to the left hand am I going to keep on being faithful or am I going to turn back you're going to have that moment where you say is it really worth the fire that I'm going through ladies and gentlemen you and I are sitting here on a Monday night in a beautiful sanctuary on comfortable chairs listening to preaching and singing you and I have have got to understand something You and I have got to get in our heads something It is a time and a place Where it is not about what I say to you It's not about what they think about you It is about the moment when you say I can't decide for them I can't decide for them But I am going to make the choice That I'm not turning left And I'm not tur- I wish I could make all of your decisions for you And I wish you could make all of the decisions decisions for me because it's a lot easier for me to tell you what to do than it is for me to tell me what to do and it's a lot easier for you to tell me what to do than it is for you to tell you what to do. Isn't it amazing how backwards we got everything? Man, when you're battling a decision in your life, you're shaking eight balls and you're pulling out fortune cookies and you're hoping that the decision is made for you and you're flipping coins and you're looking for four leaf clovers and you're hoping to find lucky rabbit's feet. Evidently that thing ain't so lucky because there's a three footed rabbit somewhere around these parts up here and you're trying to make the decision it's a difficult thing but yet when somebody comes to you you look at them and how many of you know this is the faithful redneck word well I'll tell you what I'd do if I was in that situation no you don't you have no idea what you would do if you're in that situation because you can't even make the decision for the situation you're in there's always a moment though where you've got to make the choice Now we sit here tonight, and I promise you I'm going somewhere, don't jump off the wagon. When my little baby, my precious little wife was laid in that emergency room at the women's hospital in Greensboro, North Carolina back at the first part of this year 120 some pounds laid on that hospital bed over I don't know how far along, they still don't know how far along she was because the baby was so messed up on the inside of her but here I sat and here's what's amazing about those Garden of Gethsemane moments. You can't find God with anything. You can pray and it's as if the heavens are brass. You call out upon God and it's like he doesn't even exist but yet the devil knows how to come find you and the devil's going to whisper in your ear and the devil's going to tell you everything that God should have done and could have done and I sat there in that room Pastor Luke and this is what I said I said God have I not been faithful enough have I not prayed enough have I not done enough have I not preached enough Lord what could I have done in order to do and to change this Lord what could I have done not to have to bury a little baby not to see my wife buckled over in pain God is there nothing I could have done and you will have that moment in your life where you start trying to bargain with God God if I had just done this would that not have happened ladies and gentlemen our lives are in the hands of an omnipotent God our lives are in the hands of an all powerful sovereign God my life is in God's hands it's not for me to control my destiny it's for me to choose To follow him no matter where It leads me on the path Tonight Some of you are at that crossroads At Gethsemane where you say Lord it don't look like You're going to change this thing Nevertheless Not my will But thine Be done It's not just a place Of pressing and a place Of victory It's a place of of defeat. Can I show you something that I thought about this afternoon? When you and I, and I'm assuming most of you understand these Bible stories. I'm going to assume that most of you understand. When Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, what's coming next? The guards are coming in to get him. What's coming after that? He's going up to the uh, Pontius Pilate's house. In just a few hours, he's going to be nailed to a cross. So the Garden of Gethsemane was the beginning of the end. It looks like a place where he's defeated. But I want you to watch something that happens when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says he's under such anguish that he begins to sweat. And his sweat become as great drops of blood. That's a medical condition called hematidrosis. Hematidrosis is when a person is under such extreme stress that their capillaries and their blood vessels literally burst open on the skin level and blood mixes with sweat. Now I'm going to tell you something. I've been stressed before, but I ain't ever been so stressed that my blood vessels busted open. And from the devil's point of view, the garden of Gethsemane looked like the place where Jesus' defeat started. But can I ask you a question? What if we looked at it from heaven's point of view? The garden of Gethsemane, from the devil's point of view, is where Jesus started to lose. But from heaven's point of view, the garden of Gethsemane is where the devil started to lose. How do I know that? Because you and I are not saved by the sweat of Jesus Christ. You and I are not saved by the miracles of Jesus Christ. As our sister just saying, thank you, Jesus, not for the works of the Savior. It's not for the miracles of the Savior. But tonight we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the blood started coming out of the capital of the most high God it was in that moment that the victory of the Lamb of God began to turn against the devil ladies and gentlemen what you don't realize in that situation that you're in and in that pain that you're in it looks like the devil has started his defeat of you but what you don't realize is that is where the God of heaven is turning your life in the direction that it's supposed to go and that's where the adversary is defeated in your life it doesn't look that way to me and you when we go down to a grave and have to bury somebody and we leave part of our heart in that hole with Him. but God says this is what I'm going to do for you you're going to lay a part of yourself down but I'm going to put a piece of myself inside of you it's inside of the lowest Gethsemanes where you and I start seeing the victory of Christ in our lives so through that Jesus says Three things. So that was my introduction, and I promise you the message is a lot shorter than the introduction. Can I tell you something? You cannot shorten Gethsemane. You can't make the trial in your life shorter. So you know what you got to learn how to do? you got to learn how to make it through Gethsemane's. You've gotta learn how to make it through pain. You've gotta learn how to make it through brokenness. You've gotta learn how to make it through heartbreak. You've gotta learn how to make it through anxiety. You've gotta learn how to make it through betrayal You've got to learn how to make it when people don't care about you. So how do you do it? Let's look at that first phrase. I'm going to load it up, blow it out, and give it to you so fast. If you try to write it down, I'll be sitting at the Waffle House before you even get wrote the third point down. You say, how in the world do I make it through my Gethsemane? Number one, you've got to pay attention to the weapon that you have in Gethsemane. Watch what it says. Jesus looks up to the disciples and he makes this statement. He says, this is what you got to do in Gethsemane. Pray that you enter not into temptation. Pray that you don't break down right here. Brothers and sisters, what did Peter try to do in just a little bit? Remember it was 30 years after the fact. They'd already lived for this whole thing. What did Peter do in just a few moments? Man, when the Malchus, the the, the high priest servant comes, he reaches inside the belt of the high priest, picks up that dagger and lops off that old boy's ear. And Jesus said, Peter, put up your sword. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. But prayer is a different kind of weapon. It is something that we die to in order to live through. It is a dying thing to this flesh to get on your knees and pray to the God of heaven. But through the dying of the flesh, there is resurrection. My God, I'm preaching to myself right now. There is resurrection and there is life. When you die to the flesh in prayer, you live to Christ in victory. You know, I wish I could tell you that the way to victory is through a pill bottle. Because then all we do is go to the doctor. And just give everybody pill bottles. Our victory is not in a bottle. I wish I could tell you that that a victory would come through sitting in church. Listen, you can sit through so many church services. They think you're a hymn book. Sitting in church ain't what gives us the victory. It's when our lowest moment hits us. And it causes us to hit our knees in prayer. Now, I'm going to do something that I tell all young preachers, never do it. But I'm going to do it tonight, one time and one time only. And that is, I'm going to teach you about the Greek. There ain't nothing worse than a preacher that tries to make you think they're smart by pulling out Greek and Hebrew because they're dumber than a box of rocks they just read it in a book somewhere. How do I know? That's what I do every time. But there's an interesting thing that I got to looking at about that word pray. You see, English is a flat language. Greek is not like that. It's a dimensional language. And just like a carrot in the garden, there's a little bit on top of the surface. But if you really want to get the pulp of the situation, you got to dig down beneath the surface. So I'm going to give you, there's three aspects to that word pray that you better put in your vocabulary if you're really going to use the weapon of prayer and I'm telling you don't ever do this if you're teaching a lesson if you're preaching a message don't ever act smarter than you actually are because you're going to fall on your face so I'm telling you right now I'm not trying to impress you I'm just trying to get down and put this on our level so we can all walk in this because I'm preaching as much to TCG tonight as I am to you now first thing about that word prayer it's in the present tense now if you remember school there's three tenses there's past that's yesterday there's future that's say it with me class tomorrow and then there's present that's right now you know what that you know what Jesus said to these boys he said boys don't pray tomorrow pray right now. Don't pray yesterday pray right now ladies and gentlemen that's really easy to say when we're sitting in a chair but Jesus is wanting you to apply this to the Gethsemane moments in your life when you feel abandoned he says pray right then and when you feel like nobody cares pray right then and when you feel like you're not making a difference pray right then and when you feel like nobody's with you pray right then and when you don't feel like you got enough money pray right then and when you don't feel like anybody cares pray right then and when you don't feel like it's going to change, pray right then. And when you feel like you're being pressed out of measure, pray right then. And when your children walk in and say, I'm done, pray right then. And when the marriage says it ain't going to make it, pray right then. There are too many times we think, I'll pray later. I'll pray after it's over. Honey, you're never going to make it through the Gethsemane moment if you don't drop what you're doing and lay down the weapon of prayer and pray right there in the moment it's in the present tense number two are you ready now y'all gonna have to start helping me so I don't feel like I'm an idiot up here giving y'all Greek whenever I give y'all my Greek lessons you got to be like that class ooh, just so I don't feel bad about the whole thing so number one this word pray it's in the present tense oh yes that makes me feel good number two you know what else about that word pray it's called a middle deponent what does that mean I had to look it up myself the middle deponent, it literally means that it's the person that does it of their own power. Nobody forces them to do it. Nobody causes them to do it. Nobody benefits from them to do it except themselves. Now I know y'all are so spiritual you never have these battles. But can I tell you the kind of battles that I have? I'll get under a real burden and I'll say, Lord, if you want me to pray, let something happen so I'll know I'm supposed to pray. God, give me a sign. Now, don't y'all act like y'all ain't never asked God for no sign. God ain't in the process of giving signs to show you what to do when he's already told you what to do. You see, there's nothing about praying that anybody can do to make you do it. You ready? God won't even make you pray. It's going to be the choice you make. Whether you feel it or don't feel it people will say, well if so and so will pray, then I'll start praying. Jesus said no, I didn't tell them to pray. I told you to pray. Well if so and so will get under a burden then I'll pray. He said, I didn't tell so and so to pray. He said, I told you to pray. Ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the day you've got to understand how prayer works. Prayer works when God lays the burden in your soul and the seed of the burden is the sign from God that you are to kneel down right there and pray. But how many times does God put the seed in the soil but you and I wait till later to water the seed we say God I'll pray later I'll pray at a more convenient time and then all of a sudden the seed dies and then the burden overwhelms us because our only weapon in the Gethsemane moments is prayer so it's in the present tense. Number two, it's in the middle deponent. Number three, it's an imperative. You know what that means? It means it's a command. Now in the Bible, there's a couple of things you can do. Number one, you can suggest something. Or number two, you can command Something. How? I'm in Boonville, so I feel like I'm among friends. How many of you had one of them old fashioned redneck mamas that you knew the difference between something she thought you should do and something you better do? And mama. When my mother would say these things, there's some teenagers that right now that have no idea what I'm talking about. Y'all were raised up in the timeout, everybody gets a trophy generation. You know what they did in my generation? You ate the trophy. That's exactly. If you didn't win, you ate the trophy, and then they laughed at you for no teeth. That's exactly the kind of generation we grew up in. Mama never even changed her vocabulary. You just knew by the inflection in her throat whether she was giving you an idea or giving you a command and let me tell you something there was a different level of retribution when you ignored a command as opposed to ignoring something she thought you ought to do Tyler you need to take a shower that was an indication that I probably smelt like a goat. That's exactly probably what that meant. Tyler, you need to take a shower. Mama said the same thing. But buddy, if there wasn't water running over my head and down my body, getting that dirt and that grunk and that grime off, somebody was going to have the devil to pay. Can I tell you something? You and I look at that word, pray that you enter not into temptation. And we think God's telling us a good idea. God didn't say pray as a good idea. He commanded us to pray when we get in Gethsemane. Brothers and sisters You and I wouldn't argue about The kind of command that says Thou shalt not commit adultery We know that's a command That we're willing to keep Thou shalt not steal We know that's a command That we're to keep How many of you know tonight That you and I have been ignoring The command of the master When he puts us down In the Gethsemanes of our life And our life feels like it's falling apart And all hell's coming against our families And he's given us the command He says it's time to pull the sword Out of the sheath And start wielding the weapon Of prayer in your life Ladies and gentlemen The devil has no power He's got no authority When you and I get on our knees And start calling upon the God That put us in the valley And the God that put us in the valley Has promised to deliver If we'll pray But how many times Do we keep the sword in the sheath And ignore the command You see there's the weapon But number two And I'm done I'm not even going to go to point three Because number two, this is where some of us are stuck. I call this the wooing of Gethsemane. Jesus made this statement. He said, pray that ye enter not in two. That ye enter not in two. I looked up that word enter not in two. And in the Greek, it literally means to walk into a door. To walk through a doorway. Now why does that matter? Jesus, why in the world would you say, Pray that you won't walk in the doorway? Here's why. Because we're on a path. And if I'm on the path, if I walk through a doorway, then I get off the path. You see, when you're in Gethsemane, you're not stuck in a place. You're passing through. A place, You see God's got you and I on a journey and Gethsemanes are a part of the journey. You know what Gethsemane was? Gethsemane was that garden beneath the Mount of Olives. You see those olives in order to be oil on the Temple Mount they had a journey. They started out being grown on the olive trees on the Mount of Olives and when they were picked off of that olive tree they were taken down to the Garden of Gethsemane where they were pressed into oil and after they went through the pressing process says they were marched through the Kidron Valley up to the Temple Mount where they were dedicated to God and that's what the Lord is trying to do in your life. He's trying to make you and I a vessel meet for the Master's use and you were picked off of the tree of sin, put in the hand of the loving Lamb of God but now you're in that pressing place and you're in that valley but that's not the end. You see God's got a higher plane for you and I He's got a better thing for you and I He's got a place of real dedication Dedication and service. But you got to go through the garden to get there. But here's what the devil loves to do. He loves to put doorways along the path. And see if we'll be so weary that we'll turn off the path and go to the door. You know it's an amazing thing. That it was not what Moses did on the mountaintop that kept him out of Canaan land. It was what he did in the valley. It was when he smote that rock two times in the wilderness. It's not what you're going to do in church that's going to keep you from the plan of God in your life. We all shout in church. We all pray in church. It's what you do out in the wilderness of the world that keeps you from the destiny God has for you brothers and sisters the devil loves to shortcut the plan of God for your life I have always been a curious human I've always had attention problems ever since I was born I came out distracted I've been distracted all my life. Listen, I get distracted. It is the easiest thing for me to get distracted. I see more squirrels riding down the road. I see squirrels. I just, just, everything just distracts me. Everything, every movement. I can see y'all up here. I'm looking at y'all. I can see y'all over here picking your nose right now. I'm just, I can see everything. I don't understand it, but I can see it. I just get distracted easy. You know, you get on this pathway Walking down the plan of God for your life and everything's good. Nothing pulls your attention away from God. Man, everything's going great. and You're waking up at 5 a.m. to pray. Waking up at 5 a.m. to read your Bible before you go to work. Everything's great. But you get in the valley. And you get in the garden of pressing. And all of a sudden, it's a little easier to sleep in. It's a little easier to say, Lord, what's the point of praying? You get in that place where you and your spouse have got all the money you need And it's easy to give to the Lord's work But times get tight And money gets hard to come by And the devil opens the door and says, just get off the path You see, it's not about how easy life is It's about how hard you're willing to stay faithful when it's not easy. You see, the Garden of Gethsemane teaches you what's on the inside. And right now, brothers and sisters, that olive that comes off of the tree, you can't take an olive and burn it in a candle. They couldn't take a whole pitted olive and pour it out on the altar. The only way... To make that meat for the pastor's juice, as it had to be pressed. You know, I'm 38 years old in just a couple of weeks, brother Luke. Back when me and you first met, I knew everything. 15 years ago, I knew everything about everything. I knew how to help everybody. I knew how to preach every sermon. I knew everything about theology. I knew how to pray every prayer. If you had marriage trouble, come talk to me. I wasn't even married at the time, but I had all the answers to marriage trouble. I didn't have any kids, but I knew how to raise your kids. I knew how to take care of your family. I knew everything about everything about everybody. How many young people can tell you and I both know, don't you act like, put your head down right now, you know I'm telling it right. When you ain't been through nothing, you know everything. But life has a way. People would go through a marriage trouble. And they'd come to me and they'd say, Preacher, I'm preaching little revivals. Preacher, what do I do about it? I'll tell you what you ought to do about it. If that was me, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd grab her by the nap of the neck. I'd shake the devil out of her. And I'd tell her what to do. But you walk through the valley in your own home. You get pressed in your own marriage. Somebody comes to you and they say, what do I do? You put your arm around their neck. And you say, I don't know. But let's pray. And all of a sudden, God says, now the oil, the good stuff has come out of you. And you can be lifted up. I saw parents go through death. And listen, I know what we we and... countered as nothing compared to what some of you've walked through. I wouldn't dare compare it. In fact, it's a very dangerous thing to compare your valley to somebody else's valley. Sometimes about the best thing you can do in your valley, watching them in their valley, is just say, I want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. I'd see little parents in our church lose children. And I'd go up to them and I'd, I'd say, well, just trust God. It's going to be okay. Trust God. It's going to be okay. But now. I've been through the pressing. And now when broken families come lay on an altar and say, God. Why? I'm able to throw my arms around them and say, I don't either. No. But let's pray. That you don't walk through the door. But you keep going down the path. And in this place. In this place. God has put some of you on the pathway. He's put some of you on the pathway. And the devil has opened a door for you to get off track. Tonight you're going to have to choose to keep walking. Through Gethsemane. And the only weapon you've got is pray.